This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Petey Pob, and with me I have Val, Jeff, and Scary from Scardcast to bring to you all. What's up, yos? Yo, Jeff. Jeff and Val. Hello. (laughs) Today we've got some really quick tournament news. We're only going to be talking about two very brief smaller tournaments that happened this weekend, uh, but one of them has a great name that you, I'm sure you would love to hear. The second thing we're going to be talking about and the main topic of the show is tournament organizers, TOs, taking pressure from the public and how to handle it. I get questions almost daily, all the time from TOs saying, Petey Pop, I have people trying to bring ITC events to my community. I have people complaining about the ITC format. I have constant pressure, 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 nag, 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 nag. And, you know, people ask me, how do I deal with it? What do I do? And so this this episode will kind of encompass the entire TO player relationship that can affect and hurt other areas depending on, on its health. So I want to talk about that. So if you're someone who has a TO and and you're having trouble communicating with them or you are a TO and you're having trouble growing your event due to pressure or whatever this will be the, definitely the episode for you. So it's going to be for both TOs and players. And I, I think I offer a unique perspective on it. And I know Jeff, Val, and Scary have opinions on the subject as well. So it should be a fun one. Before we get to that, some announcements. First and foremost, we do have Jeff versus Brian streamed live on the Facebook Patreon group for your amusement. It's a really good episode with a lot of tactics in the first two turns that I, I think are very important to look at, especially if you're someone who wants to know how to beat Tau. You, the video will teach you what not to do, which is roll bad. Yeah. <laughs> or if if you're a custodian player, just always roll four plus. I mean, if you, you do go. that, you're going to be in good shape. But... The main reason for announcing that is we're going to be start adding more of those kind of videos. Uh, I, I don't want to say weekly. It'll be basically as we go to tournaments. I'll probably add one for the Battle for LA, especially if I do really poorly and drop day one. So I'll definitely add another one of those. But I'm going to try and add more of those battle reports uh, as we go in there. So if you're interested in that, that's another reason to sign up at patreon.com slash chapter tactics. Also, we're going to be giving away one Lord Discordant and Abaddon to one lucky Patreon this month. Patron this month. So look forward to that. Also, one quick topic. We talked about it last week. I finally have my Battle for LA list, and it's this weekend, Ooh. and I have played Ooh. exactly two games with it. There's more time. 
Yes, more time. I've actually got three games scheduled between Tuesday and Wednesday with hopefully another game scheduled on Thursday. I've also got a ton of painting to do and modeling. Um, but for those of you who are curious, this is the list. I did reach out to the patrons. They helped me with, with some advice. And I, I feel like this list is is fun and also some, plays with things that I want and also pretty competitive, but we'll see. Uh, the intent of this list was to build a list pre-FAQ and then switch to pure Space Marines post-FAQ. So this has a little bit of elements of what I want to bring in my Space Marine list. But the list is called Fuck Yo Characters, FYC wow. for short. I know, I'm just going to jump right in there. Jeez. Just like attacking your characters. And because, the reason why is, one Phobos captain with a little baby Phobos sniper rifle, a uh, lieutenant with a jump pack who is an absolute beast with the teeth of Terra when he really feels like it or or anything. It's pretty good. 30 scout snipers. Uh, this is all Salamander's detachment. So each of those scout snipers is five man. So you get one free reroll to hit and to wound roll for each of those sniper scouts. So a total of 30 snipe scouters, nine eliminators or three by three eliminators, three by three scout bikers with storm bolter sergeants, two company veterans with storm shields and storm bolters because I had 38 points left over and I didn't have anything else to spend them on except scouts or them. So I decided to go with them. Uh, then a Castellan and a House Raven detachment, because obviously it's a Castellan, and I have a beautifully painted Castellan, and the FAQ might make him useless, so I want to get as many games in with him as I can. And then finally, the fun part of the list that I absolutely love, four Assassins, one Execution Force, and the whole goal of this entire list is to kill as many characters as possible. Uh, on average, I can definitely kill a Demon Prince, Aramon, and one cheap T4 four-wound Nurgle character, uh, and that's that's kind of just the idea of the list. It it deploys 40 models somewhere on the board infiltrating turn one. So I can get angles if I need to. I can spread out, bubble wrap. I have the castle and for anti-tank. I have the assassins for backfield harass. Uh, you know, I, I feel I feel confident about it. But also, I think it's just going to be a lot of fun. I want to see how many characters I kill. So I'm going to keep a tally of that. Jim Vessel, Pablo's coming for you. Uh-oh. Watch out. Called out we all the main characters. <laughs> Um, and one other one aside on this, uh, I, I haven't attended been attending a lot of tournaments since the list format, the standardized list format was announced at LVO. However, it's a very simple format. Like I've had people complain or heard people complaining saying like like oh it's it's complicated with the brackets. It's really simple. I just, this is my first official tournament using it and, and creating my list. I created a list quickly. It was it was just fine. So just I've got know, I've got a secret for you. The simplified. The, the simplified ITC format is just the um, export button on Battlescribe, guys. Also that. Got it's li literally just cut, just the, the cut and paste button. Hmm. So what do you guys think of my list real quick before, before we go on? While I have the three of you trapped. Uh-oh. And when you, when you do think about it, Val, can you go over it one more time? <laughs> you know, so the whole I... list, one another. But um, I actually... Like, I liked your addition of the Eliminators. I know a lot of people have been kind of, like, uh, like hot and cold on them. But uh, snipers that can sit out a line of sight and shoot a bunch of characters, I think, uh, are, no, are no joke. I think they can be quite powerful. Cool. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. If 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 I do decently, I, th I think we'll go. What is the list again, Paul? Real quick. It's, it's just you know, it's just forty sniper rifle, space marine sniper rifles, salamanders, you know, and four assassins and a castellan. Oh, oh, okay. castellan, nice. Oh, sorry, castellan. Sorry, not not a castellan. Silly me. It's sanguineous. 
Not Sanguinus. Sanguinus. Wow. Anyways, moving on to tournament news. Uh, first off, we have the Wet Coast GT that happened. Yeah, not uh, a little tur- tournament, Pablo. This is a, this is a major held in the most expensive city in North America, Vancouver, British Columbia. Okay, well, Val, if you're such an expert, why don't you take it away? Well, that's putting me on the spot. I'm just saying. You called it a little GT. It was a major, man. Okay, well, a major. I apologize. It has GT in the name, Val, and it's Canadian, so, you know, you guys have, what, two majors up there all year? That's a touche right there. It's a touche. Uh, All right. Joking aside, Jim Vessel did win. He is on an absolute rampage. Um, I, I called it two weeks ago. I didn't call it two weeks ago. I said two weeks ago that it was similar to Matt Root's uh, run three three years ago now. Oh, my gosh. Um, when he won the ATC championship, uh, he won a bunch of early tournaments early on, got Adepticon, and then kind of cooled off for the summer and then came in hot at the end and won the entire thing. Can we so, can we uh, like try and quantify this? Uh, we got a good panel here. So Jim has now top-tabled actually at Scarry's tournament, the Barry Bash. And he's won three GTs and Adepticon. And well, and is like the first person ever to get over a thousand points on the ITC. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the new score. He's it's already over score. a thousand. Yeah. I didn't even yep. know that. Yeah, but I mean still, you win RTT right now, you get like 144 points, so it is different, but it is that almost is a hundred and a four a four round RTT will give you almost uh, hundred and sixty points or so. Well there you go. Yeah, you you but like, is, have three players. Is I, I really wish we had player stats because like this feels a little unprecedented. Like it's a it's a lot of winning in a really short period of time. It's pretty cool. It is cool. And what I like the most about it is he's not like running nine a blitz and hustled to like three tournaments at sixty five points or whatever. And it's like, well, what do you know? He's doing it with an all all comers list that requires a lot of skill. He inspired a lot of people. I can't tell you how many demon lists I've run into that have five points of summoning now all of a sudden. It's like, wow, where, where'd you get that idea? They're like, well, there's this guy in Canada. <laughs> That's uh, the sneaky little brimstone, that is. Yeah. I mean, his list is just, it's a really cool list, a cool take on things. Even the Contemptor Dreadnought is not like a, it's not, he didn't invent it or whatever, but it just works so well in his list. And it's cool to see it fitting that way. Yeah. That's really C-beam fun. beam Dread. Yeah. Uh, and then in second place we had Matthew Taos. Third place we had J.P. Mowet, and in fourth place we had Eric Tanner. Uh, coming in hot. Now, quick aside about John Paul. Um, every every once in a while he'll go to a tournament. He'll he'll get like top four, top five, and then go back to playing X Wing or Legend of the Five Rings or some other worse game, uh, and dominate that game, and then complain about 40k not being a fun game. So I just just gonna sh- you know shout him out from the Mugo Legion, John Paul. Start playing 40k again. It, you know it's it's your it's your love. Just deal with it. And uh, in fourth place is a tier and a player that wasn't the podcast nemesis, um, Eric Tanner with a cool tier in its list. Yeah, and I I believe he didn't. He had the, like 60 geniuses and didn't have Swarm Lord in there. Yeah, so he had a Kraken detachment with two Neurothropes, 60 Jane Sailors, uh, Broodlord, Malanthropes, a bunch of Rippers, the, your six Hiveguard standard, and then um, Carnifexes and another Kraken mm. detachment. So just uh, three, two Devourer Carnifexes um, and a heavy support detachment. So um, it, it's it's a very simple list. I, I, Jeff, you're obviously, you've got a lot more mm-hmm. you know stuff with the Tyranids. I, the Tyranid lists either look very formulaic or, or very off the wall weird um 
is that just kind of like where the faction is right now, or or should everyone just be running six hive guard, sixty gene sealer, kind of this formula? Uh, I mean, they just the Terra Codex is always one of the earlier codexes in a release, and when that happens, you just kind of have your standout units, and right now that is certainly. Um, Kraken Gene Stealers. A lot of times you'll see the Swarm Lord in there just to deliver them even faster, but with Kraken, they're getting around pretty good anyway, so it's kind of cool that he found points to basically be like, you know what, I don't need the Swarm Lord. They can still fly around and wrap stuff and kill stuff. And 60 Gene Stealers is a lot of tough 4 or 5 up invul stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so it's still pretty darn good, but the Hive Guard just great artillery, and then the Carnifexes, I like to see more of this. They They are good. Everyone knows that. But in the Castellan meta, they're just a little bit less good, and people are already kind of gravitating a little bit away from the Castellan, because most lists are kind of adjusting for it, but also people are puckering for the FAQ, I think. Um, but yeah, as far as Terranid Codexes go, there's a lot that you can do with it, and it's really good. I think it'll especially benefit from the post-FAQ era, where there's probably a little bit less Castellans. Or if there are Castellans, their list is a little bit smaller, because it probably costs more points. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, m- moving on to Jim Vessel's list, uh, just real quick for those of you who maybe haven't heard it yet, it's it's a been the list he's been running for a while, so I'll be very brief. He has sixty nerglings, a pox ringer, and a sloppy bile piper. And, sixty nerglings. Uh, I'm sorry, plague bearers. Sixty <laughs> plague bearers. Wouldn't that be a sight? Sixty nerglings. <laughs> it's a new meta, folks. Sixty little poop monsters. Uh, 60, 30, 60 plague bears and two units of thirty with three units or three models, three nerglings, um, a change caster, a demon prince of of corn, and fifteen blood letters and twenty five pink cores, and another chaos battalion uh, with ten brimstones to fill it out, and then a supreme command detachment with Aramon, two demon princes each, a sorcerer in terminator armor, and the infamous hellforged contemptor dreadnought with two conversion beam cannons. So. Oh, it has a two? Yeah, it has, it has two conversion beam cannons. Oh, I didn't know that. Jeez. Yeah, I, th- I think it has a kill streak going. Uh, the, I'm the, not sure. Those conversion beamers, you know, I, I was able to have a game against Jim and his list, and uh, they clear out chaff so quickly. They're only one-shot weapons, but if he do, if they remove a model, they do 2d6 strength 6 hits to the unit that they did a casualty to. Oh my gosh. Like automatic hits. So if you're like trying to hide like a little screening unit or something, he just has to shoot these C beams into you. Hits with like a strength nine last cannon shot or whatever, kills one model and then does two d six strength six hits on the unit as well. Which, no. is but cool. what I really like about it is its utility. So that's good at killing chafe. It's good at killing infantry. Yeah. But it's not like it's bad at shooting a knight either. It's no. it's high strength and it does like two d three damage, I believe. Uh, yeah, depending on how far it is. I think it's like, uh, for every 12 inches distance, it adds another two and two to its strength AP as well. And then it adds another D three damage. So if it's like, you know, three bands or 48 or more, it does, I think three D six, three D three. Yeah. Damage and a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. So it's pretty snazzy. Yeah. And it outranges the Castellan too, by, by 12 inches. So a Castellan can't even, if you're at 60 inches away, a Castellan can't move and shoot your Hellforged Contemptor Dreadnought, um, which kind of helps with kiting and, and little, little things like that. Cause the Castellan doesn't have a lot of meat. It's not a tar- target rich environment for Castellans and Jim Vistel's list. You just have infantry to shoot at until the characters get to you. 
Yeah, at that, and it gives him something that can stay back and hold the backfield objective or screen out deep strikers or, you know, it's just like a utilitarian unit while his main body kind of moves up the field and uh, takes the center of the table and then has and then gets ready, ties things up, and then his demon princes just start going to town on you. Yep. Uh, and then, um, real quick, in second place, the only undefeated, the only other undefeated player, uh, Matthew Toes, just want to give him a quick shout out. Um, he was running a... Uh, Pox Springer, Sloppity Biopiper, and Spoil Pox Scrivener, and 30, 60 Plague Bears, and six or four Nurglings in a battalion with, with a unit of five Plague Bears, or Plague Drones, sorry, um, in a battalion, and then another Nurgle battalion with uh, two Demon Princes, three by three Nurglings, and then finally Magnus the Red, yeah, all by himself. Yeah, I love the one lone Magnus the Red in that list. It's <laughs> yeah, like slapped nurgle. on there, yeah. This this is a an interesting list because I don't I don't see a ton of damage output outside of the demon princes and Magnus. Um, Those yeah, drones the, aren't the, bad. Like, the the Nurgle drones, yeah. So he, he correct me if I'm wrong. He has the ability to do like like four damage in attack, but AP zero, right? They with do the two drones. each, but you can give them a banner to double it on a roll of a six to wounds, and then you can give them like virulent blessing as well. So that they uh, like double it again, and then you can with the locus add plus one to that. So you could be having these guys do, I believe, six or seven damage with each failed armor save. Okay, but but that's at AP zero. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> but you're holding your breath, aren't you? The potential is there. That's what matters. <laughs> uh, and go ahead until you run into a two plus armor save. Yes. Yeah, the custodians uh, love it, but. The list, what's cool about that is it just doesn't die, and then he does have damage dealers behind it, so it's kind of that nice mix. Like, when you do full Nurgle, that's always the problem, right? Like, they just don't kill enough, so in the ITC, you're almost always kind of giving up a kill and then kill more. So maybe you're holding, but maybe you're not holding more. So they just kind of get outscored. It's kind of rough, but you're starting to see, like, the base of the Nurgle characters and about 60, sometimes 90 Plague Bears, and that's going to be your, hey, we just don't die, and we just move around and sit on stuff. And then you put Psychers behind that, you put big baddies behind that and all of a sudden you're dealing damage so you're scoring really well yeah yeah and and i i really uh magnus red depending on how you play with him can can bring a lot to this uh and i imagine he just plays really cagey with magnus the red try you know until he needs him. i don't know i'd really like to see him play it because uh you do see a lot of people bring similar lists to this that don't do as well um or they'll take like a greater and clean one instead of magnus or or mortarian um, so I would really like to maybe come on, have him come on the show and talk about it. All right. Moving on to the second tournament, the Silicon Valley smash, or as they titled themselves, did themselves Brandon Grant's 29th GT win. And, uh, lo and behold, in first place, we had, uh, <laughs> Brandon Grant with a uh, pure Astro Militarum list, not even an assassin. Brandon Grant is, is taking the Astro Militarum faction, by Storm, um, I think he's probably the favorite. Uh, what do you guys... Well, I guess I'll, I'll read out the list so you guys know what it is. Um, so he has a, a Colonel Ironhand Strachan and a company commander in a Katachan uh, battalion with three infantry squads, three Chimeras, uh, a second battalion with two battle cannon tank commanders and three more infantry squads, uh, all Katachan as well, and Finally, a third battalion with Katachan Battalion with a tank commander, a company commander, three infantry squads, nine Bulgarin, an astropath of priest, one wyvern, and one basilisk. And then it's important to note 
the all three attachments are Vigilus Defiant detachment. So the first one is a, the Emperor's Blade, and that's the one with all the Chimeras. And I believe that lets him leave the Chimeras and still be able to charge, I believe. Um, I'm it's not... the, uh, you could pick a unit inside of a Chimera to disembark after the Chimera has moved. That's what it is. Yeah. And then from there they can charge and stuff and do act normally. Um and then the the Emperor's Fist Tank Company is the second one, and that's the one with the two tank commanders. Uh, and then finally, the Emperor's Wrath Artillery Company um, for the one with the Wyvern, the single Wyvern and the single Basilisk. Um, so he he just kind of, you know, I'm mean, obviously he did well. He, he won a GT with it, but he kind of just went full on the Astro Militarum train, cut out the the knight. Um, he basically replaced the knight with the two tank commanders, um, and is taking full advantage of all three. Uh, Vigilist Defiant detachments. I think GW would be pretty proud. What do you guys think about this list? He's, he's still got ninety guard. He's still got ninety bodies. He's got the three chimeras to hide, um, and then he's also got. I think I saw heavy flamers in here. Though doesn't matter. Those were on the chimeras. So he's got two heavy flamers on each chimera uh, to run up the board with, and a whole bunch of bodies, and of course nine Bulgren. which are the big bully unit. We're seeing that very like in a lot of lists. Just something that can kind of go up the middle of the table, soak up a lot of firepower, and survive, or like just soak up a lot of firepower. It's yeah. awesome. It's a. It's very cool to see a pure guard list like this that utilizes like all of its fun stuff. We got tanks back out there. Uh, the Bolgren are an amazing absolute anchor unit, uh, and then all the bodies and the different vigilist stuff too. Like the one Basilisk, the one Wyvern. This is the holy non-trinity that I was hoping to see more of, because you can double shoot one or the other, right? So if you have a harder-to-hit target that you want to get some uh, stronger stuff through, you go for the Basilisk. If you, And I'm guessing you almost double shot the Wyvern every single time, because the utility of that is just insane. But go ahead and double shoot that Wyvern. So he had a really tough matchup against Brian Poland and his Tau, which has been torching people. Like, just it's three Riptides, three Broadsides, a commander to the characters, and then 36 drones. That's a scary matchup, um, just in general. But Brandon Grant was able to win pretty securely, and then and take this tournament. And he's got—he's just an amazing general. He's got a great, fun list like this. He'll be taking it to Battle for LA this coming weekend as well. Which, not to um, hate on this tournament, but this tournament was a twenty-two person non-GT five rounder, and it had a few good players, but for the most part, it was kind of a local thing that Brandon Grant traveled to and destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> um, Battle for LA has a very good pool of players, so it'll be a nice test to see uh, how he does there. Do you think he? Do you think he plans to go, or do you think it was like the Russian guy who punched the bear and then got mauled? Like, like the bear got punched, and then he was like, look to his other bear friends, and go like, oh shit, now I have to kill this poor guy. Do you think Brandon Grant just saw the name and was just like, oh, I guess I got to go to this tournament now? No, I think it was something like, because they were putting it together for a while. It's one of the first GTs in this area. It was, it's sad because it's my area. I, I couldn't go because I was casting StarCraft, but um, they named it Brand Grant's 29th win at its inception. And I believe he just said he was going to go to it. I don't know the story, actually, but it's really funny that they named it that because he then went and won. <laughs> and he's that kind of player. Like, the terms he travels to that he doesn't win, that's the one, like, like it does. It almost never happens. It's pretty. It's pretty funny. Yeah. It was like um, Nova last year and like a couple others. It's about it. Yeah, yeah. He he doesn't lose very often. Um, and when he does, it's to really good players. Or Daniel Olivas. Just joking, <laughs> Daniel. Just joking. It's just it's it's a little joke around Relentless D because Daniel Olivas has beaten Brandon Grant, I think, three times now at major tournaments. 
um, and been like his only loss. Yeah. Um, so this it, is Kryptonite, is it? Yeah. Um, well, which, he takes a nasty Yanari list, and I could see why it'd be good against Guard because he has sixteen Reapers with three Exarchs. Ouch! Oh, and he double the shoots the big units. So yeah. if you have infantry, you had infantry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. So the the three chimeras, I, I do love the three chimeras in this list, and he's definitely lauding them. Um, when we all kind of like la- looked at him kind of weird with side sideways glances, and we're like, Brandon, are you sure you want to run three chimeras? Um, but I think they're really good in his Eldar matchup, right? Because because they don't die to to the normal stuff, and Eldar want to they need to kill everything, and they don't they simply can't against his list. Um, you know, so they usually don't have the tools to outright kill the chimeras. The chimeras have heavy flamers, so they can kind of torch small Eldar units, or um, or importantly, like things like shining spears and stuff. And the Windrider jet bike set and would normally kill all those infantry squads can't kill them as well. So you've got these chimeras that are very mobile. They can drop off obsec troops somewhere. The troops can in turn all charge things and hurt them because they're strength four because they're Katachan. Yeah. Um, or you can just blob up and move up the board with 90 dudes and Strachan. And I think he's got a priest in there uh, and then just put a billion attacks into T3 bodies. So it's, here's, it's here's really a cool. slight correction. And I, I know you meant this, but just for our listeners, it's not that you can't kill chimeras so that people are like being confused by that. It's that any firepower you designate to the chimera is so annoying because it's otherwise not super impactful. It is fairly durable, so it does take a significant amount of firepower. And then more often than not, dudes are popping out from inside of it. So then you're like, well, now I either have to kill them or ignore it. And it basically just makes his tank commanders live that much longer because any kind of firepower you want to kill the chimera with would probably go towards the tank commanders. And it's just, I love transports in 8th edition. Nobody's really using them because they're not fun and sexy unless it's a fucking wave serpent, in which case you all suck. Um, but all the other transports, they're like, they have really rinky-dinky shooting and they just, their only job is to sit on objectives. Everyone kind of looks at it and they're like, well, that's lame. I'll take more firepower, you know? So it's, that's the direction people go. But especially in ITC, a Chimera sitting on objective, putting out a couple of flame shots, that's really powerful. Or also just getting forward and tying up an important unit like right. Orc Boys would hate to be charged by a Chimera. Yep. <laughs> They're not going to probably kill the damn thing, and it's uh, it's going to tie them up and make them you know, use their jump on that unit. Or And the same thing's repeated for anything that's that's coming up the table. You can get a lot of movement that way, too, and then those flamers are in range. So I'm, I'm betting he's using those to be super annoying. It's a foil, too, right? Like, like you just said, it's like, this unit I want to charge, but then the Chimera's like, I'm just going to tap these three guys, and you can swing at me with your four dudes, and they're like, cool. Yeah. And now yeah, I can't fall back and charge you or anything. I have to, like you, like you said, you, now you have to jump that unit. Maybe it doesn't go off, and that unit's actually tied up. It's like, it's just insane, the power of those that kind of uh, unit. Yeah, and, and, and I, I think that, I agree with you, Jeff, but I also think that, in general, the community undervalues mobile move blockers. Uh, things like Wave Serpents, the mm-hmm. those Custodes, Forge World, little grab bike, grab tanks. Uh, Palace. Pal- thank you. Um, you know, just things like that, that, that especially things with fly, uh, that just get in the way of knights or, or, you know, even flyers, right? You know, cause knights can't jump over them. Right. So, you know, how many times I've had a knight gallant want to charge something like four inches away, but he couldn't because there were two pieces of ruins and then like a wave serpent just chilling in front of him. And he's like, well, I guess this is it boys. Uh, I can't, I can't charge him or like a flying, a flight stand from like a razor wing jet fight or something. And it's like, I can't, the, the guy's right there, but I can't get him because, because I've got a flyer in my way. I, yeah. Like, a, I'm like a penguin. I'm looking up and then I'm just going to fall over. Anyways, 
point is, is cheap move blockers are definitely something that you should consider um, if you're having trouble with, with sticking things on your list and getting tabled. Um, I, I, I really wish I'd been able to see the, the Brian's game against Brandon with the Tau matchup, because I feel like Tau should have the firepower to kill everything. Um, but, you know, maybe not. I mean, you've got Nine Bulgren, you've got the Layman Rust Battle Tanks. You've got the so, I heard a little bit of commentary on this, and this is interesting, because I definitely agree with you. Um, and this this is where we get to, once again, summon the old the old Grey Wolf, Reese Richard Robbins. And this is some wise words that were perhaps accidentally dribbled out of his mouth. It's, it's, it's up for grabs whether or not this wisdom comes from a place of wisdom, or if it's just actual, you know, word diarrhea that he just happened to say. It's like it's a dream state. It, exactly. In a semi-lucid dream state. Um, but the word on, the word on the street is that um, Brian shot basically his whole army into the Bulgren turn one and then got them down to about three guys. But that's their job. And that, that reset in like all five of his games of Broadside Bash, for the most part, people looked at the Bulgren. They're like, those guys got big muscles. Uh, what, do I, what do you think, Reese? Should I shoot him? And Reese would be like, no, don't shoot him. And then they shot him. And then the rest of his army was insulated and free for like two turns because it just takes so much to get through those Bulgren. Um, Is that why you don't play paintball games, Jeff? Paintball games? Yeah, because you always get shot at because they see a big muscly guy. No, I don't play paintball games because I turned 18 15 years ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just Sorry, kidding. paintball fans. I know. There's, like a, there's a bunch of them. They're like, they're like listen, Watch after out. the Marines, I turned 56. I can't <laughs> shoot people no more. I go to paintball. I'm like, that's cool, man. It's fine. Elevates uh, above the rim. But again, I didn't I didn't watch the game or anything like that, so I don't want to pass too much judgment, but that is a trap. That's a they have such durability, they're so hard to kill. And they actually I know the idea is you want to whittle them down before they get into you. Um, but a lot of people kind of fall into that trap, and that's where something you know, move blocking them or slowing them down. Uh not every army has access to that, I understand. But if you can do that, that's the better alternative, and then you get rid of the long range shooting, clear the chafe, that kind of stuff. And then Tau, for God's sakes, just let him charge you anyways. Let him kill some drones and you have fly. Then you and get you're going to kill him in the Overwatch, for Pete's yeah, sakes. Yeah. Uh, Tau, yeah. though, also would probably be in a little bit tough against that because there's a lot of damage-dealing units. Um, it's like kind of more of an MSU-style list, the one that Brandon's running. Yeah. And Tau's really good at teeing off on big, tough things. So yeah. I'm, I'm also not surprised that he did try to nuke the Bulgrid because, you know, that would be the most efficient thing for him to shoot at because he can get all of his buffs and, and really go after one thing. Um, but um, when you have a lot of, you know, equal threat targets, uh, Tau struggle because then they're, you know, they're hitting on their regular ballistic skill. There's all kinds of minus uh -huh. one hit abilities I'm sure Brandon can use. Um, so it's not maybe on paper as much of a cakewalk as you'd think. Whereas, like, what your experience... You know, you're playing with much more elite, fewer units that are very obvious to point and shoot at. Uh, Brandon's it would be very hard to pick the right one, especially with Tau. The thing I really like about Brandon's list is that it uh, builds off the strengths that you need in order to play the missions very, very well. He's got lots of board control. He's got lots of movement ability. He's got damage dealing so he can clear out sections of the battlefield. And he's not easy to get rid of. Yeah, yeah. And he's just a fantastic general too. So any like choice you make, he's he's bouncing around doing something else. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's definitely a good list. I'm looking forward to see what he does with it, how it evolves, um, if it even does evolve. Maybe just found the right list for him. But I do know from personally talking to him that he's very happy to move to pure Astra Militarum, um, and to drop the the Knight Castellan and, and some of his other things that he's been doing. 
So I made my list with him in mind for Battle for LA, like very specifically. I'm I had a two palace in my list, and I dropped it for the minus one to hit banner, uh, in part because of Tau again, but also because that is one of the best weapons you can have against guard. So we'll see if it's enough, and or if it'll even matter. Maybe just go 05 and it'll be like, whoa, <laughs> hey, <laughs> that's not gonna happen. No. Jeff would spontaneously combust if he went 0 and 5 at any competitive event. It'd be Ever. weird. Be, yeah. Anyways, moving on to the main topic. Uh, how do TOs deal with pressure from the, their general communities, and how do you correctly apply that pressure if you're a player and you want your TO to, to do something? Whatever whatever you want them to do. Uh, 40k related. Let's keep this family friendly. Oh, wow. All What's right. the name of your list again? Uh... At the FYC, Jeff. Okay. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to uh, the main topic. So, so uh, basically, how? First off, how how should TOs how how would you identify pressure? Right. So, so there's there's obviously there's different kinds of pressure from communities. Some that can be largely ignored, I feel, and then some that that maybe you should really address. Uh, and so, first and foremost, the number one advice I want to give you as a TO is to not sweat the the small pressure right uh, there will always be that guy who emails you and says ah, i don't know about mission five of the itc champions mission it really doesn't make my my scorpion striking scorpions very good and i feel like it targets me specifically and i will not be attending your next event good sir I'm like okay <laughs> you're gonna get those guys it, it happens it happens to all of us i get phone calls like that about the lvo and socal open so you have to correctly identify the the people in your community or the attendees that that are just always going to complain. The the people who are going to one star you on eBay because your item arrived an hour late, right? Got them. So once you once you correctly identify those guys, don't sweat those guys. Now you want to focus on on bigger things like faction specific. Uh, and when I mean faction, I mean like tribes in your community, which which is probably the best way I can describe the pockets of communities where people band together and and complain specifically about specific things. But you want to identify those pockets of your community that are applying that pressure and how they deal with each other. Uh, so that's kind of the pressure that you want to focus on, right? So if you have a common example, this is a, a I think it's something a lot of TOs are dealing with right now, um, is you have one faction of, of, of hobbyists or, or casual players, um, players who maybe they're not tournament friendly. They, they think of the ITC as like this evil organization that's out to ruin their game. Uh, and then you've got ITC players who, who are generally, you know, hungry, uh, where's my ITC score, you know, kind of addicts um, that, that really focus on going to events and getting those ITC scores. Um, regardless if they're hyper competitive or not, or if they're actually good at the game, you still have you know the people like that too. And so those are kind of the the two factions that uh, a lot of TOs have to deal with, right? So I, I want to focus on that one briefly. But before I get to that, I want to get your guys' opinions. Um, have you guys dealt with those two factions in particular, uh, butting heads? Um, I guess maybe not as a TO, but just in general in in like a local community. And then how did you guys see it get resolved, or did you guys see it get resolved at all? Yeah, I think um, the first chat we ever had on this show was that exact uh, scenario. We were talking about casuals versus competitive players. And um, in, in that particular example, we, you know, I think there's just a lot of space out there. And I, I think it's also not as bad as it once was because now competitive 40K is actually being treated as a skill. People are actually learning the sort of art and the science of how to play this game better and people are taking the game part of it seriously so it's not like it once was where uh 
you know, anyone who could win a tournament was just an asshole. Um, and that's like a year and a half ago. It's like not even very long. Um, but usually I think, you know, when, when it comes to like building a competitive uh, scene uh, like locally, it, it just comes down to, you know, winning people over, finding the people who are interested in that tournament and not making necessarily the TO like change their main event. This, this has happened too, where TOs will you know, um, cave to the pressure to switch formats, go to ITC from say something that they were, that they were used to, that their meta was used to. And then they do lose like half their group. And then the ITC group gets screwed because they get one shitty event and that's it. Um, so I think like you really do have to, you know, build it up slow. Um, you know, comp is your friend in that case, things to take the edge off of the game. If you do have a really conservative meta, um, but also just be comfortable with the fact that like competitive 40k isn't for every single group too. So as a right. TO, if if you don't have a player base that's down to throw down, you, you need to and you, and you want to run events, um, you need to create events that are tailored to the your audience's needs. No, I totally agree, Val. And you know one of the things that as a TO I've learned over you know years of running like a variety of different events is number one as a TO. Yes, your word is final. So you don't really need to cave under pressure. If you want to run an event where it's all power level and you're playing all Maelstrom missions or whatever it is, and you don't want to allow Inari into your tournament because you think Inari is silly, you know, that all the power to you really. The the biggest thing that I've that I would recommend for any TO is in order to curb the pressure, just make sure that whatever format or sort of style you've decided to go for, make it readily available for people to figure out what it is that you're running and be very open about things that you're thinking of doing so that a person that goes to your event knows exactly what sort of format they are going to run into and there's no sort of like feelsies, badsies, surprises uh, on the day of an event. Yeah, I believe Val mentioned that a couple weeks ago. So my biggest thing is, and this is like a common theme, and I feel bad for being a broken record, but it's just so important to me for Warhammer, but like, just communicate. So if, if you're a local area, and I've seen this happen, it's really weird when like a TO or somebody's just like, this is what we're doing, because this is what I want. That's like one of the only times I've ever been turned off to a Warhammer tournament. But when somebody's like, hey, I'd like to run this kind of tournament, what do you guys think about it? you post it or something or you talk to your local gaming group or whatever it is. Or maybe you just host a tournament, but then you ask for feedback. You're like, hey, what'd you guys think about this? Do you prefer it? Whatever. If you're just open to making people happy, this kind of goes hand in hand with what Val was saying. Like it's really hard for me to see that be a bad situation. Because like Pablo was saying, you'll have that guy walk over and he'll be like, if it's not this, then it's stupid and I hate you and I'm boycotting the store. Then you kinda look at that guy, you say that's too bad, and you don't care about him because that's ridiculous, obviously. Um, but the rest of the people will probably be very reasonable. Be like, I kind of like this, and I kind of like that, and you know, people are starting to play ITC, or you try to service both, right? Like, if a majority of the people are like, I don't know, I'm uncomfortable with competitive Warhammer, be like, okay, well, how about this? Mid next month, we're gonna do a competitive tournament. Let's see how you guys like it. We'll try to take it pretty easy. You know, it's a three round RTT. It's nothing super serious. If you don't like it, we can move a different direction. Yeah, I think that's the best gaming situation you can ever walk into. Trying to force people to enjoy your style of Warhammer is it's gonna happen forever. Uh, until the robots erase us from the earth, I guess. But it's just silly. It just doesn't work. <laughs> and the thing is, too, about like you know your version of Warhammer is Warhammer is fun in all kinds of different ways, right? And I think a lot of people just think their way is the best way, and so they might be. And they're also 
get freaked out about the like especially in the competitive frame of mind they might get freaked out about you know losing super bad so yeah. i think a lot like when, if you're in that kind of a zone it it it's it's all about just getting people to try something right so taking you know softening it up as much as you can one good trick don't put the word itc on the name of the tournament i had people who were like narrative gamers playing itc missions and they had no idea and they had a great time and right. now there's more competitive players right so like um just even even that kind of stuff just know that like people are going to react really bizarrely emotionally in this game and probably all all things in life and you got to find ways to you know sell people on you know trying something new chess clocks wicked example like a year ago chess clocks were a boogeyman people were saying mm-hmm. that this is going to be terrible for the game all that kind of stuff the difference is people tried it and they realize that it's an it's a net positive and now people don't hate on chess clocks when it's posted about in, in competitive 40k as much there are some people that don't like it but like anything else sure yeah i think it's about how you go into it i i went to a really cool rtt earlier this year or last year i can't really remember but they were like a super casual store but with the kind of popularity of itc and the success of eighth edition blossoming there was more people that were really interested in playing a more competitive style and they eased into it. They, they held their first tournament. I felt kind of bad because like me and my, my friends, we like rode in like ravagers and we're like, Oh cool. A tournament. And we just <laughs> swept it. But once you kind of like on table one, I'm like helping this guy learn Warhammer. Basically uh, you kind of get, you read the room a little bit and then it was more of a, yes, we won and it's fun. Um, but at the same time, we tried to not make it a nightmare experience for the people who are easing into it. Yeah. And the TO is doing a really good job of being like, you know, it's not hard dice down and the clock is your god. And he's like over like a Vox caster in the back of the room. Like, yeah, the emperor is dead. You're all so stupid. Like it, it was just a very positive, cool experience. And guess what? Their next RTT, it went from having it was like 15 people to like 40. They were at capacity. It was ridiculous. Wow. And it's because word got around to their yeah. community that they were like, no, it was fun. It wasn't that big of a deal. And we're learning, and it's awesome, and this is kind of how I want to try Warhammer now. And it, yeah. it went really well. Yeah, No and, matter and what, as, you play three games. <laughs> yep. Yes. And, and as a TO, that should be your first priority, is just making a good event, period. It's the number one rule in Warhammer, guys. Have fun. Yeah, just, just Act, more fun than your true. opponent is my rule, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but to kind of get into the, the nitty-gritty, a little more uh, meta into this, it, one thing I've seen a lot of TOs have a lot of success with, with marketing their event, uh, and kind of dive, you know, kind of... Um, pushing that pressure off to the side um is to market at different places um you know kind of market your event differently to different places this is kind of basic marketing but if you have like a store that's known for more casual hobbyists maybe they have their own painting circle or there's a lot of gossip um you you don't market your event as an itc event a competitive itc event to those people you say oh well we've got a paint score for the best model painted model and we've got this and that things that they'll enjoy whereas you might go on the competitive 40k group and be like itc major 56 players come now free lunch you know, something like that. And then boom, you'll get all those guys too. Right. So you definitely want to sell your event to different communities um, differently. Uh, and I think that that's another skill that, that t- some TOs lack. Uh, and it can get very frustrating if you sell your event to the wrong community in the wrong way. And then they start applying pressure and then they might, you know, go through private messages on Facebook and, and talk poorly about your event. Right, yeah. which which will proliferate and then you know may, maybe even kill your community. Worst yeah. absolute worst case scenario, um, but that happens. Something else that is important to note is 
how long are you planning on doing something? You know, if you're a, a community store or whatever that wants to create a long-standing thing with the community, you know, it's it's about that long-term game. And if you set a good foundation, eventually over time as well, you'll see that the people who you want at your event will gravitate to your event. So yeah. if you're looking for like a hobbyist sort of centric uh, community, you might have the odd tournament where the beat face guys come and like, you know, uh, you know, sweep the event or whatever. But at the same time, like the longer you sort of stick to your guns, the, the more frequently you'll have events where the crowd that is attracted to the event will sort of mesh together and creates a really good experience. And so not only for the TO, but also for all the attendees. Yeah, and I think as as an organizer, when you're dealing with with uh, personalities, whether or not it's you know you know the the mob trying to shout you down over a ruling or whatever it might be, I think a lot of times we try to do broadcast communication, so either a, a generic post or um, you know like a Facebook event page or something. But you know, in most of these cases, you've got you know clicks of friends or you know groups of people, and there are dominant personalities in any group. And so winning over those sort of linchpin personalities, getting that one person out that maybe five other people will, will, will join in with, will get more people who have the positive experience at the event and who will then tell their friends. So it's like, um, I know we were, uh, Scary, Scary and I have been, well, Scary has been running the show, but um, I've been sort of the hype man for a tournament TGX in Toronto. Toronto's a huge city. First year, we didn't get to GT status. I think we we came in at 29 people. And all 29 of those people were folks that I had personally messaged and browbeat into <laughs> showing up uh, repeatedly. Like Different it, it, kind of pressure. Yeah. Like I had to like go out there and, and find the people and figure out what was holding folks back. And I'm sure Sky was doing the same thing. And, you know, he has a massive platform to try and get people's attention. And even last year, we we thought we'd hit major stats and we just sort of got over the GT hump. So, you know, it can be a slow build and it, and it takes years of people coming and enjoying the show and then bringing more friends uh, over time. And it might feel like you're getting resistance, but really you're building momentum. Another thing that's important to note is if you are a TO out there looking for help and support, there is a plethora of uh, other TOs that uh, have gone through exactly what you are going through right now. So uh, feel free to reach out. The ITC even has a cool Facebook page, Pablo, right? Yeah, so it's a secret group. Uh, you're not allowed in unless you run an ITC organized event. However, that is very easy to do. Go to frontlinegaming.org to find out more information, or you can email us. But if you are uh, an event organizer of an ITC event, we do have a secret Facebook group that you can message Reese about, and then he'll add you, um, probably do a ritual, and then boom, you're in. And there's hundreds of TOs that talk about this stuff all the time, uh, regularly. So, you know, you can go ahead and check that out. It's a great resource. Uh, so I, I kind of want to segue into um, talking about the other perspective now. So if, if you're a player and you have to deal with, with uh, either a rogue TO or a TO who, who maybe just they don't see what's going on with their community, they don't have a, a pulse on the community, and your scene is slowly dying, um, and, and you might need to apply pressure to that TO, right? So there's a right way to go about this and a wrong way to go about this. Um, if your wrong way includes, if your wrong way includes uh, getting a new TO or or kind of starting your own event and competing with their event in some sort of malicious way, probably shouldn't do that. Also, 
talking to the TO on open platforms like like Reddit or kind of publicly calling them out is something I see happen all the time, but definitely not something you should do. Um, also complaining about the event on forums where the TO isn't there to be able to defend themselves um, is probably also not a good call too. So if you have a TO who you know who's not in a specific Facebook group or, or message chat and you start you know, talking poorly about the event where they can't defend themselves or where they can't explain what's going on or where they can't even learn the feedback. All those are very negative ways to destroy community. And I've seen all of them happen multiple times and I've seen them directly hurt communities and attendance. Uh, so don't do any of that. The best way to put pressure on TOs is to A, maybe take them out to breakfast, lunch, dinner, uh, take them aside, talk to them, have a real human conversation. And I know those things are very rare. Um, but you can have a human conversation with them and kind of politely explain why you don't like their event or what you think they can do better. I find that that oftentimes helps out a lot. Uh, also, like what we saw with Adepticon, talking about an event in broad terms saying like, oh, I love this event, but the train is bad. Uh, I love this event, but the missions are kind of weird or whatever. Um, you know, just being in general positive about the event. Uh, but very specifically talking about these specific things, especially if you talk to a lot of people about it and kind of make it a thing. Like I really want to use Adepticon because um, those guys, that's a perfect example of an event that took positive pressure from the community and applied it and made their event better as a whole, right? Already an amazing event, right? But they, they, you know, they have all this great terrain now. Um, they've definitely listened to people talking about the old Adepticon terrain and upgraded. Uh, and the same thing for the broadside bash to a degree. The broadside bash was going to use weird, wonky uh, mission rules, um, which I, and, and that might be a little negative. Like you know, they, that's them, right? But there definitely was uh, feedback, negative feedback towards the missions that they were going to use. So they switched over to ITC missions, were kind of, which were kind of like the San Diego standard. Um, and I know a lot more people were were content because of it, right? So I don't know the exact details of that pressure, but I, I do know that. Um, you can email the TOs and they're very open and to people emailing them and open to feedback into changing their tournament. Right. So that's just some ways that, that you guys can positively affect TOs. Uh, do you guys have any other examples? Uh, Scary as a TO, do you, do you have any preferred way to, to receive feedback or anything like that? Uh, the easiest way to receive feedback is when somebody, you know, has goes through something and they kind of bring it up to me directly and it allows me to address it. You know, the, the hardest part of being a TO is if somebody has like a grievance or, you know, something didn't go as they expected or whatnot, and then they just don't tell you about it and just kind of like, um, you know, brood and sort of sit in a little dark corner and go, well, if only this would have happened. Then you're like, um, well, I thank you for letting me know. You know I, I can only fix it if I know. So don't be afraid to reach out to a TO and kind of let them know how you feel. Um, and I find usually the issues that you might have are very similar across the board. It's either lack of terrain or mission format or um like uh time constraints or scheduling you know things like that of that nature and uh you know there's very simple solutions sometimes to you know whether it's starting the event a little sooner to maybe running a tighter clock uh you know for the game so that people can get home to dinner on time and they're not sitting around waiting for awards um you know to terrain you know if it's a local event that's a very easy solution. Just bring a table of terrain and a mat and set it up, you know, and encourage other people to do as well. So the only things I would add to this is the kind of 
I think it's a simple one, but I think it escapes a lot of people. Give the feedback, obviously, anytime. You know, good experience, bad experience, fine. Email them, tell them in person, whatever. That'll help shape and mold their kind of overall stance on where the tournament goes. If you want change, try to give them that feedback with enough time as well. Like, there's a lot of people that'll be like, what? This mission, like two days before, they're like, I don't like that. And there's nothing they can do uh, at all. And then they're like really upset or whatever. Um, But still give them that feedback just in a respectful manner. But then the last one, which I always think is kind of interesting, because I think a lot of people don't think of it this way. Sometimes uh, tournaments serve different people, and that's okay, too. Like, there's a lot of people who are like, I don't like the award ceremony at Broadside Bash. So, you know, I'm going to email them and tell them it's really stupid. Eh, it's not really feedback. That's more just kind of dissing their tournament. And that's also just the vibe they're going for. So if you just re- if you email and be like, hey, I'd love a more traditional tournament, and I respect what you guys are doing, but just put my voice out there. It's something I'd like and they don't take your feedback, that's not a slight against you. Sometimes it's just the way other people want a tournament to be, or even the TOs just make kind of a hard line. They're like, well, we sold out, or we have a lot of people. We like it this way, because that's what I think Warhammer should be, and we're going to keep going. And that's okay, too. So it's not always give them feedback with the intent of manipulating and changing their tournament to be what you want. It's sometimes more just like a give them feedback so they can assess that with a collective feedback from everybody else, and then go from there. Because at the end of the day... It's still fucking space dolls that we're pushing around and we're talking about, you know, shooting each other with the, their imaginary guns and stuff like that. And I think everyone's out there to have fun. They're, you know, like the idea that these tournaments have to grow and create a populace and then eventually we're driving in limousines to each tournament and Val's ascending <laughs> in, a, in a blimp casting from above and stuff like that. It's probably not too close to happening. So in the meantime, let's have fun and probably understand that other people want to have fun too. And it's not always going to be the way we want it. Val, do you have anything else you want to add? Did we lose Val? He's out. He's out. Okay. Well, it's nice knowing you, Val. Uh, moving on to see, I am. Uh, um, I'll, I'll speak for Val here. If you are looking for something to do with a tournament, look in your shoe. Hmm. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> all right. Moving on to the final kind of pressure that I want to talk about. Uh, and, and this pressure, is, it's definitely pressure that TOs receive. And it's kind of new. It's not, it's not something that, that I'm sure TOs have dealt with in the past, but it's something that's definitely been more public. Uh, and that's the, the kind of pressure to make rulings or decisions publicly that, that can directly affect your event that need to be done or maybe not need to be done. Um, and that's things like, like, uh, banning players making rules adjustments to the mission depending on or um depending on on your you know your format that you want to run um y- you know uh making specific changes like not like taking best general out uh making weighing best overall in the ITC there's there's a ton of different specific things that TOs need to make uh decisions that that can definitely get pressure one way or another uh and so there was one event that I want to use uh, as kind of an example um of multiple layers of pressure being applied to this TO. Uh, and then I know Jeff has, has an opinion here and I want him to weigh in on it. Uh, so first w- what happened was, was there was a player at the event who, who was um, the basically who was, was the TO said that he was cheating um, and whether he was or wasn't, I'm not here to investigate that. But the point is that the TO announced that this player was caught cheating at the event and the play, uh, the TO retroactively gave the player two yellow cards and a red card uh, and banned him for life from the event, specifically. For those of you who are in the know, you already know exactly who I'm talking about, what event I'm talking about. But I, I, I don't. Two keep... yellow cards and a red card, and they're banned forever? Oh, well, um, that might have been... That what tournament been was this? 
anyways, Jeff. Jeff's just messing with me. He knows. Jeff knows everything, guys. Don't ever listen to him. He's playing coy. I um, actually don't know who's banned forever. Oh. I don't I don't believe you. But moving on. Uh th- there were there were multiple pressures being applied to this TO, um, both from internal, you know, communities and, and the like the the general the general groups that that were kind of running everything and the TO ultimately made a decision and stuck with his guns with it which i think was is the correct thing to do in that situation he made a tough decision and stuck with it uh but we get a lot of this similar kind of pressure from uh people at, as in general for like the itc um not just for our events like the lvo the socal open and broadside or the bay area open but also for itc um itc uh uh, rulings as well, right, or votes or anything like that. Um, the most recent example is the the pressure that was applied to the ITC to change the faction scoring rules, right. So that that was that was a lot of pressure being applied to us. And um, though I th- I I think we, in my opinion, I think we handled it well with the vote and everything. Um, it could have gone it could have gone badly, right. It could have it could have gone worse. And I think there have been times when there's been votes that the ITC has put out there that probably shouldn't have because we took the pressure incorrectly or maybe we perceived the pressure to be one way or another um and it came back to backfire on us um so when you when you're getting this kind of pressure from multiple different angles and you need you need to make a decision that affects your event and maybe even the community at large there you should really uh first off you should definitely let other people know reach out to to friends um in the community you should let out reach out to maybe the itc judges people at your event uh, people who have a stake in it and, and let them know, hey, I'm going to make this decision. I need to know what should I do? How should I go about this? Because they will give you different angles and, and give you different perspectives that you may not have had. Um, second, if you're uh, if you're going thinking about maybe retroactively banning a player, reprimanding a player, or um, you know reaching out to a player about a specific thing, even if it's like something as simple as like an award that they messed up on, maybe they received best Tau when they should have received best Eldar, or whatever, you should always reach out to the player privately first, um, just to let them know. I feel like that's that's an important step that can sometimes be missed, uh, especially if you're running much larger events. Um, it, things can get out of hand very quickly. Uh, and then finally, I think you should create a public statement of some kind, um, draft it, blow it by a few people, um, and let them look at it, and then uh, make it as official sounding and as professional as possible, um, because with these larger events like what we saw with the london gt uh you can you can definitely affect um not only how people you view your event but also events in your area um so you definitely want to write out a public statement you don't want it to be a simple little you know like oh well this guy this guy cheated we're moving on or or uh, competitive players suck so we're, we're banning them from our events we're not doing itc anymore you know just, just make it a little bit more of a public thing right so those those are kind of my big takeaways jeff go on yeah, so I think I know who you're talking about now, but the reason it's confusing is because there's no yellow cards or red cards. They were just banned, and that was why it was handled okay, poorly. Okay, so I, I, might have, I might have misread that. I, this is I, before the yellow and red card system, and, and actually what I would say is I love that this exists now. So a very relevant example is that at the Dallas Open, a player was given a red card. Um, you can read about it on their Facebook page. We don't need to go into names or anything like that, but the gist of it was there's more than a few people that thought this person was cheating. They investigated it. And they found it to be, I mean, it's like Warhammer, obviously, so not everything's recorded. Not, nobody's caught on camera. You just kind of have to go off of what people say. And if enough people are saying the same thing, that probably is true. Um, this person was given a red card, which is nice because 
What that means is if there's legitimacy to this, then if it continues, if that behavior continues, then it's documented and then it's enforced. And all I will say, I agree with everything Pablo said for the most part, is some of the only bad experiences I've had at Warhammer tournaments is stepping into like a local or even a uh, travel tournament and finding out that there's people that have been shady, probably cheating, uh, giving people bad experiences, or in like swap groups just straight up stealing, like really bad stuff like that. And nobody has the guts to do anything about it. Nobody says anything. Sometimes some people are like, hey, knock that off. And then there's no punishment or anything like that. So guess what? The person probably is like, oh, you misunderstood. It didn't actually go down that way. And then it just kind of keeps happening. And then I wander into these tournaments uh, even early on in my competitive Warhammer life. And I'm like having to deal with this person head on in the middle of a game because nobody would stand up to him. And nobody would like, you know, kind of call it what it is. That makes for a bad experience. And that makes for like a cancerous tumor in your scene. So it's really nice that there's now a system, and even if you're not a part of the ITC, you're not a part of that system, please know that if you are not standing up to these people and you're not saying something or doing something, it's going to perpetuate and it's going to make people coming in feel bad when they experience it or when they hear about it. Um, And it's really important that we as a Warhammer community, which is like fractured and different, right? Like I can't claim that we're all in the same community. We're not. We're all little pockets of Warhammer community. If that kind of stuff's going on, someone needs to stand up to it and be it the red red card, yellow card system that's going on at the ITC right now, or just be it you are the leader of your store. I don't know, but it's important that you do it. Yeah, and there's there there definitely are you know people that that need to be called out for for their shit, so to speak. Um, I, I think in our communities, I think we all know who they are. Um, but it, you know this this is where this is where the pressure kind of like comes into play, right? Because on the flip side, you have you have witch hunting, you have players who who might vilify a specific player who maybe might not deserve it, or maybe there might be a bigger picture there. Um, in 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 some in the cases of some players, like for example, um, uh, Tony Grappando at the LVO last year, right? He has a he has a reputation um, of of you know being a, a poor sportsmanship. What he did with the Alex Fennel thing. So now in the future, any events he goes to, he he will definitely have people will definitely have an eye on him. They're like, oh, that's that's Tony. He did the LVO thing. Um, that can directly affect people's perception of him. Right, so if you're at an event and and Tony is at your event, um, and there is uh him allegations of him cheating or something, you, there there might be more pressure on you as a TO to outright ban him from your event, um, which means you know you you definitely want to do a little bit more investigating. So as a TO, you should have a general idea of of players in your area that that might need extra attention, and you also you know want to do your due diligence, right? Um, we have a player here locally who. I know the the tos um, a lot of some local tos down here are just chomping at the bit to ban. They're just waiting for him to slip up. Um, and on one hand, you know, I, I I know a lot of people don't enjoy playing this guy, um, but also feel kind of bad, right? Because he because I know that if he he's he's not a bad guy, and I know if he slips up, he's banned. He's done. Um, I th- I think that as a to, you should definitely not listen to this kind of pressure and just just make a really good logical educated decision. Well, and that's that's why I would emulate the system if you don't have it in place. So. The system is not, you are caught, you're banned for life, get out of here, we hate you forever. It's, here's a warning, right? So it's a yellow card if it's a minor infraction, it's a red card if it's pretty severe. And that red card really should only come out if it's blatant, caught, witnessed, or, you know, overt. Um, 
And that's that same kind of system can be emulated just in how you socially conduct yourself. So if at your store there's someone that's kind of bullying or cheating or whatever it is, you don't walk over to them, throw their army on the floor and say, get out. I don't want to ever see you again. You go over to them and you say, hey, man, can I talk to you for a second? And you pull them aside. You said, hey, uh, there's some people talking about some bad experiences with you. I'm not here to say that it's 100% your fault or whatever. I just need you to know that I, I want you to try to take a look at this behavior and try to go the opposite direction, right? More often than not, the person's going to get very defensive, mad. Who's that? Who did it? I didn't do anything. I'm, I'm innocent. In which case, you have to be like, look, man, that's why this is a warning. It's just that a few people have mentioned this. I just need you to kind of be mindful of it and please uh, try not to do that. And then if it continues to happen, then you go over to them and you give them the yellow card or the red card or whatever it is based off the behavior. But more often than not, what I've experienced is that nobody says anything. They just kind of whisper and talk about it behind that person's back. They keep cheating. They keep doing shady shit. And then eventually the like collective people like email the TO in private or like, get him out of here. I don't want to ever see him again. And then it puts the TO in a really weird spot because there's no paper trail, so to speak. There's no like, uh, you know, chain of like events that can lead to someone being banned from a store. It's just all of a sudden they're like, yeah, a bunch of people don't like you. So you're out of here. Creates feel bad moments. Yeah. And, and we obviously don't want anyone to be kicked out because of a bunch of emails privately, right? Like, I feel like in general, that's not a good environment for us to, to, you know, grow. Um, so I have a question for both of you. Uh, and that's, that's when you're issuing yellow cards, um, and maybe not red cards, but yellow cards in particular, when you're issuing them out, you, you know, do you make that public to the tournament? Do you, do you make kind of like an announcement? Do you think you should make an announcement of that publicly? Or do you think it should just be between the infracting player and you, the TO? Good, Scott. Personally, I think it should be like football. They make a foul, you put the card high up in the air and go, foul, and then you have a little whistle. You're like, <laughs> boop. Um, uh, th- to be honest, I feel like as a community, we have a duty to sort of keep people accountable. You know, it's one of the reasons why I like active judging. If you walk by a table as a judge and you see somebody is clearly not using a rule well, like a judge should have the full authority to step in and go, hey, that's not the right rule, you know? Um, and... I feel like in terms of policing and red and yellow cards, personally, I have never had to give out any cards. I've had to sort of like pull people aside or investigate situations. But luckily, it's never come to that sort of, you know, having to start wielding the iron fist. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the case, yeah, I would I would definitely sort of, you know, maybe not necessarily like in front of the whole hall or go up to like the the the. um the the comms or whatnot and kind of tell everybody so um everybody just so you know um we have given this person a yellow card and then the whole room goes boo you know whatever <laughs> so so um, yeah i definitely like you know would make it like people around that situation would would definitely know that i have given a yellow card but it wouldn't be you know i wouldn't make like a big deal of it but, okay this is your warning you know you will this i will be giving you a yellow card um you know and uh, and then hey you know, try turn it around and enjoy the rest of the event. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, especially since, in my opinion, most situations call for just like a verbal warning. Like, you just go over and be like, "Hey, this is what so and so said." I'm not interested in like getting back and forth or whatever. Just please be mindful of that. And then, if a completely different person comes forward and says, "You know, this is my experience again," then that's that yellow card time. And I don't do it mega privately. I would just be, it's the judge or whoever the TO handing them the yellow card. Be like, "You're getting a yellow card." It doesn't mean anything right now, but it means that enough people have reported that this is going on. I need you to not do that. And if it continues, then we'll escalate. So uh, I have one final question, kind of for Jeff. I, and, and 
let me know if this is uh, an off base question, Jeff. But uh, in the Wild West days of StarCraft, I like I, I love listening to your talk on YouTube uh, about the Wild West days of StarCraft, mm-hmm. and it kind of reminded me a little bit of of 40k now, right? Obviously, they're very different. Um, but I feel like I see like 40k heading in that direction. How would that? How would like cheaters and and infracting players been handled like back then when there were you know different scenes? Um, maybe it was a much smaller community. There's obviously no official like Blizzard big thing. Um, how was this kind of handled back then with like esports and stuff like that? No, I think it's a great question. And actually, um, I liken a lot of the early times of StarCraft to the early times of competitive Warhammer right now as it's kind of more organizing. Obviously, it's not truly early competitive Warhammer. It's been around for a long time, but you're starting to see streams and money tournaments and and leagues that are global and that kind of stuff. So it's definitely escalating. Um, I would tell you that part of the reason why I'm pretty vigilant about talking about this stuff on, you know, this this wonderful podcast and Warhammer broadcast and stuff like that is because it wasn't particularly handled well in um, StarCraft. They are kind of similar in that they are marred by red tape, like, Um, unless someone's caught red-handed, you can't really ban them from a tournament for all kinds of big legal reasons that companies don't want to get too involved in because a lot of times, just like in Warhammer, when someone's cheating, right, unless their dice are literally taken from them, and even in that case, we've got examples of people being like, I bought that off a weird website, it's not my fault, you know, or whatever. (laughs) Um, The same kind of stuff happened in StarCraft where we're like, dude, you clicked on something in the fog that you can't see, and they're like, wow, that's really weird. Uh, Or they're just, you know, like, they are cheating. But they, if, as long as they don't say that they're cheating, there's not much that a company like Blizzard, or in this case, Games Workshop, can do. So it kind of has to be handled locally, and that's what it was in StarCraft, is if we knew cheaters, we'd be like, don't come to the land. You're not welcome. And it wasn't like we'd threaten to beat them up. We'd just be like, you're not going to advance. We'll go to the TO, and you know, like it, they just won't. And a lot of times, their own shame will prevent them from going anyways, too. Um, so we don't have those options in Warhammer, but it's just like I was saying... Uh, it's really important that figureheads and leaders stand up to this and speak about it with respect. Like, we don't need to lynch or torture cheaters because a lot of times, at least in my experience with Warhammer, they're not a bad person. They're someone that wants to win really bad, and they'll do things that maybe um, they would regret or think is beneath them if people knew about it, but they just really want that win, right? So... As long as we have a punishment system in place and people being pretty strong about standing up for each other and being like, yo, man, here's your warning. This thing's not okay. I feel like a lot of those people will not cheat or if they do cheat, the one warning or the one punishment will be enough to get them to move away from it. I really don't think we have a problem where there's going to be players who are like, yeah, I was caught cheating seven times, but I've refined my system and they're not, they're never going to catch me again. I don't think Does that happened. In, well, in Starcraft? Oh, in Starcraft? No. Oh, okay. If you're caught cheating, you're a blackballed. Like you just not we would not be allowed to tournament stuff. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thank you very much for answering that, Jeff. Thank you for humoring me. Yep. Um Okay, so uh, I th- I think that's pretty much it. Were there were there any last things you guys wanted to add to this? Any tips for any extra tips that maybe I didn't cover? It's not super common, is is what I would always add. I always feel like we sometimes make competitive tournaments sound more scary than they are like there's a lot of people who think if you go to a tournament you're gonna get cheated really not the case um and then in my own experience i would just say a lot of times someone will begin to kind of cheat me or be a little bit shady and if i'm like yo man make sure and roll that dice in front of me please and just kind of make it clear that i'm looking at them and watching uh some people call me a a real hard ass to play against but it's because i really just want to play a legitimate game of warhammer and sometimes people get a little bit slippery about it once you kind of call them out and use a firm daddy voice or mommy voice, um, 
they will usually knock it off. That's been I had to learn that the hard way. I had a couple players early on that kind of had their way with me, and it's because I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I don't know, yeah, wow, that's that's a great role, and like that kind of thing. But when I got the rematch against him after some of my more experienced friends kind of told me that, about that player, I just punched it in the nose right off the bat and was like, nope, don't re-roll that right there. And they'll be like, well, I don't have to re-roll it, but I guess you do. I need to be able to see a roll. And then guess what? They stopped cheating. Yeah, and, and what Jeff was talking about does definitely happen. I've had to do the same things with other players. Um, but also, on the flip side, there, there sometimes it's just players who don't know, right? Like, uh, one sure. time I was at a tournament, and there was a guy who kept rolling his dice behind a big wall, foam wall. And I was like, hey, dude, uh, could you please roll those in front of me or roll them right here so I can see them? Uh, and he went on this long rant about how, you know, he was he was a hobbyist pro painter who he didn't come to tournaments and he wouldn't cheat at plastic toys. And I'm like, whoa, 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 dude, just like, yeah. like I just want us to be general clear. And he's like, oh, OK, I wasn't trying to cheat you. And he, had, he turned out to be a very nice guy. Um but sometimes, you know, you, you want to hold both both of you accountable, right? So if your opponent feels the same way, if your opponent says, hey, Jeff, roll your dice here. I didn't see that. I know Jeff wouldn't be like, oh, are you calling me a cheater? He, he would probably either show him the die roll, not touch it, or he would roll it again. You know, so you want to hold each other accountable. Yep. You know, that's definitely like a self-policing thing. You know, you have to, and a lot of the times, Warhammer is designed for the, you know, the players that, are not exactly super socially, you know, wanting to be out there or want to be the center of the party or whatnot. You know, we, we're in our basements. We, like, paint our little miniatures. <laughs> we don't really have to talk to very many people. So sometimes it can be awkward to sort of be in that position where you want to stand up for yourself and you kind of know what's going on. So don't forget that the TO, the judges, are always there to, like, help you out. Um, and don't be afraid to kind of, like, pull them aside and chat with you or 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 have like that conversation heart to heart and as a to that's as a player but as a to run the event you want to run run it for the people around you that you want to sort of run it for and take that constructive criticism to heart and really sort of apply it and and it might take a couple of tournaments and you know it might be a bit of a longer process but eventually it'll kind of click and you'll guy you will find something that attracts that sort of uh you know group that you want to spend uh, an afternoon with or a whole day with you know for 12 hours playing warhammer yeah <clears throat> but I, I i don't think we can add any more to that i think that was all really well said um, okay, time to move on to Jeff's favorite part of the show, the patron questions. Uh, so if you're new to the show, every every week at the end of the episodes, we open the floor out for questions to our patrons on the Facebook chat. So if you'd like to ask us questions, go to patreon.com slash chapter tactics. So this first question uh, comes from Mr. Tim. Uh, and Tim wants to know, should do we think that TO should avoid standardization to keep their terms unique? Or would you all like to see a standardized circuit of events? So standardization or not, what would yes. you two like to see? Whatever. Uh, like, I, I love knowing what I'm getting into, and that's fun. But if that was the only thing I had to look forward to, I think that'd be kind of bland. I mean, do you know, sometimes we, uh, and I, this question's great, so I'm not, like, jumping down their throat. But sometimes I think we overthink Warhammer a little bit. It's like, I, I don't want either one to be my only option. I don't want every turn to be unique, and I don't want every turn to be the same. I like that we have both. And in yeah. living in California, I have options. That's the great part for me. Like, there's tons of tournaments here, so I get to be like, "Oh, that one's themed. That's kind of fun." There's this great tournament in Washington 
where they're really like emphasizing hobby and they have themed missions, but a lot of competitive players go too. That's fun. Yeah, go go ahead. Do you have anything to add, Scary? I I love I love standardization for like an international style format. So like you know what the ITC has been doing or what the ETC is. These are like big formats that um, have like a standard way of playing. So no matter where you go in the world, you sort of know what you're getting into. I think that's very healthy for you know the growth of uh, the 40k competitive scene globally. At the same time you know do what like i feel like the more variety the better you know we i run anything from apocalypse size events where you've got you know 60,000 points of orcs that one player brought from his personal collection versus as many guys that we can get together to try and crush the orc invasion all the way to uh, doubles events where you're only allowed a single battalion or things like that you know so it, it really just it varies wildly. Just have some fun with it, and the more Warhammer, the better, really. Yeah, I think I I agree. I agree with you, Scary. I think to add on to that, I think that the larger your event, the I think the more appealing to make it a standardized event, right? So, so like the smaller events, I definitely don't mind. You know, Tio's getting cute or adding different things or changing up the scores and all that. But I would like to see like a larger standardized circuit um like a pro tour or something where everything everyone knows what you're getting into when you go uh and that's just because the larger you have your event um you might want to keep things simpler just because they become a lot more unwieldy or a lot more harder to run when you start adding in you know new different things that maybe haven't been tested yet or haven't been tuned right so i'd just like to add on to that um Next question comes from Mr. TJ. Uh, how would TOs handle giving out red cards and other penalties after the event? Would you allow the FAQ? Oh, and also, so this is two questions. So how should TOs handle giving out red cards and other penalties after the event? Which I think we already answered. And then the second question, would you allow the FAQ if your event was four weeks out, if it drops this week or next week? So so what with the FAQ timing, what do you two like um, for your events? You can go ahead, uh, Jeff. Uh, I don't have a super mega strong opinion. I think four weeks is a bit excessive. They did that for Adepticon or whatever it was. I think it was Adepticon. So they were like, no assassins were allowed there with the new, the new rules. It just felt kind of weird because it was like just barely, uh, inside of four weeks or something like that. And that's definitely how like everyone's been playing for the three weeks or four leading up to it. So it's just kind of weird to be like, oh yeah, that's right. We have to revert back off of this. Um, at the same time, for the bigger travel tournaments, I understand that if people like. Uh, I I only understand this because I'm friends with like recent people who have to deal with this. But if you have weird things like we're allowing the FAQ two weeks in advance or something like that, people are like, "Well, I painted my, I had this stuff painted six months ago, and now you're telling me I gotta paint something else," <laughs> and they get really upset. And it can line up with how you sell your tickets as well. So that's that's more for them to kind of judge. Um, I don't know. I have a different I have a different outlook than a lot of people, I guess, because for me as a player, I look at tournaments as like optional for me, not like they need to curtail that to how I feel and what I want. So if, you know, I'm going to uh, Battle for LA and Burbank um, this coming weekend, I've had a list, but like if, if they, I don't know, it, it was a few weeks ago, they're like, here's the cutoff. I think that's really fair. So if I didn't like it, I would just not go to the tournament. I would, I would say I'm not going to go mm. and not buy the ticket. But because I did buy a ticket and I do want to go see my friends and I think the rules are fine, I'm okay with it. It'd be weird if after I bought my ticket, they changed the rules of it. And unless they did that like two months in advance or something crazy. Personally, when I've run an event, I usually 
allow pretty much everything up to and including the day of the event. And if a codex releases, you know, whether the week before or whatever, I usually just allow both versions of the codex. Hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of like that too, Scar. I like I like it when um TOs either or they extend it beyond the hard deadline, um, or or they make everything like a case by case basis. Like in the case of the assassins, I might have allowed the assassins, but I might yeah. not have allowed like a a large, you know, FAQ or something, right? Yeah, yeah, like the FAQs do change stuff and I usually do have like a week cap or something and, and if it does change people's lists, I usually, you know, give them an opportunity to sort of switch things up if it makes something sort of very relevant or very hard, you know, based on like a, a case by case basis. But the the thing that is over the course of playing Warhammer, the thing that's sort of frustrated me the most is when I'm like going to this big event, I've been painting my army and then all of a sudden like my list changes or an FAQ comes out and it sort of completely switches, you know, the way that I'm playing a list or or you know, I don't get to use my new codex or I don't get to use this unit that I was really hoping to use because it's now better or whatnot. And when the, the deadline was like four weeks out and my codex or something arrived like, you know, one day after the deadline and they have like a hard cut on it, you know? You know what, though? Uh, the kind of counterpoint to that is it's it's I think you're guaranteed to make people upset either way. Like if you do an event where you're like, we're allowing both codexes, and the new codex has this thing that's absolutely broken, and they're going to FAQ it in a week, but they, did, they didn't, and rules as written, you can do this thing, but there's also this other codex that you're allowing at your tournament. You're going to have people who are like, I didn't know which codex he was playing, then he did this thing that's, like, I guess technically okay, and it really fucked me. Um, but you're also going to have guys like Scarry who are like, I've intricately painted my Archon and it's, it's modeled with three women with two breasts taped down because my witch cult, that's what they do. And that guy's going to be upset too because he spent a lot of time painting that. You I know. did spend a lot of time on her breasts. That's right. You have to. <laughs> Uh, so you just, I prefer terms that make it hard. And again, for me as a consumer, it's like, if they're like, no, we're leading, we're letting it go all the way up until the event. As long as they say that from the beginning, cool. I know that when I buy my ticket, right? Like that's just the rules as it goes. I think it's silly when people like, I, I, when I bought my ticket, I didn't know that he was going to be that open and free. That's ridiculous. It's like, well, it says it right there on the website. Like, oh man. Yeah. And another thing that, that I found useful is if you are a, um, a, a TO, like you, at the end of the day, like if there's a rule conundrum or something just seems like too good to be true in a new release or whatever that hasn't been addressed, you know, you're in full liberty to sort of create create or answer a question in sort of like an FAQ for your event, as long as it's something that is readily available for people to take a look at, or they know what your stance is for like specific rule quandaries. You know, don't be afraid to to say like, well, it's not really clear. You can read it both ways, but for the purpose of this event, this is how we're going to rule this right. particular question. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> Okay, um, moving on to the next question. Uh, Josh wants to know uh, how do we, how do you, would you go about dealing with players um, that bring large groups of events with them? Um, you know, if the guy's like a total douche but brings like five good people with him um, as a TO, how would you deal with those problem players? Uh, do you do you let your? Uh, this is actually a, a really interesting question. Um, you know that I've kind of thought about, um, but you know, how would you deal with like a like imagine if everyone just hated Reese, but Reese brings like Frankie and Jeff and Pablo to your event. Like, how would you just 
let Reese do his thing or Nope. I mean I feel yeah. like this is like a the beginning of like a family matters episode or something like that where they're like there's this really cool kid at school and I don't want to say it up to him because everyone really likes him it's like it's just the same as anything else man like uh Iris you go up to him you say hey can I talk to you in private you don't fucking like in the middle of the entire tournament call him out or something like that and say hey man you know just please watch this kind of thing this kind of thing and if they get in your face and they're like well I'll stop bringing my five people guess what you didn't want that fucker at your tournament anyways like, uh, anyone that wants to threaten popularity or their group of people or whatever. Or, and I know it goes deeper than this, right? Like, some tournaments, they have, they rely on those people shopping at their store, and it's very politically weird to call out some people. But I will tell you, the worst case scenario, uh, other than the short gain of still making those sales and having those people at your tournament, is they will drive other people away. And it's probably yeah. going to be bigger than the group of people they bring. Unless someone's like, no, actually, I'm from Manitoba. There's a guy named Jimmy, and he brings in 200 people to the store. So, well, I guess you're fucked, because that guy is your entire economy, somehow. Um, but unless that's the case, stand up to him, but do it respectfully. And, and if they get really weird about it, you did a good thing anyways. You know, worst comes to worst, like the folks that are okay, you know, they'll they'll be like, you know what, I really enjoyed that tournament. The other guy's like, I don't want to go back. And then they'll be like, you know what, we're just going to take another car or rent something right. or, you know, because we really want to go anyway. Especially, like I said, if you handle it maturely, like if you get in their face right off the bat and like start throwing punches, then they have the political capital to be like, yo, me and my friends, we're not going to that. And they're like, yeah, we got your back, man. That's, that's shitty. But if you pull them aside, you're just like, hey, man, do you mind, you know. The way you talk to that guy, he's a little bit kind of, he's a little bit more shy. If you could please approach it a little bit differently. Nine times out of ten, that guy and everybody else is going to be like, yeah, dude, I didn't know. I'm sorry. Yeah. No no problem. And they'll, they'll try to do better. All right. Uh, next question from Mr. Adam. It's definitely getting off topic, but I think it's an interesting open nice. question that we should like not it. spend a long time answering, even though we could. Uh, do you guys think that with Inari and this Castellan getting some well-deserved nerfs, the metal will go into a more Tau and Demon's favorite state, as last week's tournament results, and these week's tournament results, to be honest, would indicate, or will Imperium stay as a top faction? Mm. So there's a lot to uncover there. Uh, but basically, are Tau and Demon's going to be the new Inari and Castellan list, or, or do you guys... What do you guys kind of see that going? I, this guy's like, I've got an apple, and over there's an orange, and I'd like to ask you guys, if I have an apple and an orange, uh, is tomorrow Wednesday? And I'm like, why? Well, what? Well, like, how many uh, bananas do you have? The Castellan's bullying the entire meta. I don't see that the Castellan going up or getting nerfed or whatever is all of a sudden unleashing the gates of hell from Tau and Demons, and then Yanari was not what's holding back Tau and Demons either. It's like, You'll see less of those things. You'll still see them. I think you'll see a lot less Yanari because I think uh, a big part of what made Yanari Yanari is going to be carved out. Um, but Tau's already doing really well, and Demons are doing. That's, that's why this is kind of a weird comparison. But but good players with Tau and Demons are doing well, and it's not like it's kind of a weird inference where he's like, well, without the Castell and Yanari, will other people win with Demons and Tau? It's like, um, I guess, right? Uh. Scar, do you have anything to add to this? Not really. I okay. think uh, Jeff hit it, hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, uh, Mr. Adam, I think I think to add on a little bit to what Jeff said, I, I think that um, we're probably going to see a little more diversity, but things are probably going to stay the status quo because you do see people moving away from Castellans and, and even in Ari to degree. Um, so I, I, well, I'm, I don't I'm know that we'll excited. see status quo, but it's not because the Castell. I mean, that, that's what's so weird about the question for me. It's like, hmm. I don't think... Uh, 
Tau and Demons get a huge buff by the Castellan and Yanari specifically going down. The FAQ is right. going to include a bunch of other stuff, too, that's going to change the meta. Yeah, but, but I guess where I was going with my answer was th- there isn't going to be another Castellan list that's going to rise. At least I don't know. I mean, there might be, but I don't foresee another Castellan list rising from the ashes of the old 40k, you know, from this new FAQ. Um, but I might be wrong. You know, we'll see. Um, next question comes from Mr. Brett, and this is for Jeff. Uh, how should TOs handle individuals not uploading their list to PCP and placing within the top tables with their unuploaded lists? Yeah, so there's a two-part answer to this. Um, first thing you do is you remove them from the tournament, and then you shave their head, and you make them strip down naked and walk from their table to the outer part of the store while everyone looks at them, and you ring a bell, and you say, shame. Um, that's what should have been done to Reese at Broadside Bash, and that's what should be done in the future. I fully think that. But in lieu of that, and probably because it would be illegal to do that, um, I, I generally think there's not much you can super, super do, and there's usually, like, a reason. Uh, like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's this nefarious thing that's happening, but if you are a TO, and I would go to the players and be like, yo, you gotta upload your list. And if they're like, you know, what? what's the reason they'll give? My phone's too old or something like that? 99% of the time, you can upload their list via the admin uh, ability through the tournament for, for uh, Best Coast. So if it's a, it's kind of a pain in the butt, so that's where I would go. I would default back to, like, when you make the website for your tournament or you're announcing it to people or however it is you're advertising your tournament, if that's important to you, which I hope it is and should be, just include in there to be like, yo, you have to upload your list, or if you make the top eight, I'll deduct points or give you a yellow card or something. Because it does suck for all the, for yeah. all of us subscribed on Best Coast when we, oh, cool, a cool tournament's going down, and there's like a fun matchup, but one of the guys has his list uploaded and the other one doesn't. You're like, well, there goes my immersion. Yeah, it was one of the things I was trying to do today was go over the top events from this past weekend, and I click on one of the like GTs, and I'm like, great, four out of the top five players didn't upload their list. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I, <laughs> it's It's definitely becoming a different you know, a d- different landscape because we wouldn't have been even talking about this like a year ago. Right. Um, so, and you're going to want to enforce it because it's going to, it's actually, there is not a reason for that player to upload it other than they could potentially be caught for an accidental or otherwise illegal list, or people can, you know, copy it or, or counter it at the next tournament or whatever. Yeah. So the players don't want to, for the most part, and that's why you're going to have to enforce it. And ultimately, as a TO, if you you know we've been talking about being TOs, like be available to the players, like you know find out how to do it from your iPad or your phone or whatever, and it takes two seconds to just like get them to text you the text version of the list and just copy paste it if they can't do it on their phone. Right. Uh, next question, Shannon wants to know, as a player, what do you do if a TO makes the wrong call, and you could prove it via a rule or FAQ with time? Um, also, how much time would you take challenging it? Uh, and then I would certainly appreciate him or her at the end of the show uh, for the right answer, but how would you handle it? Um, this is for, for both of you. How would you handle a TO making the clearly the wrong call? It happens all the time, man. It uh, does. Yeah. I was at the BAO, okay, 7th edition. I'll never forget this. Because fuck Frankie, all right? So <laughs> Frankie was one of the judges, and I was running my ADMEC um, war convocation with summoning, because I'm that guy. And I hit the red button on one of my librarians, and he turned into a bloodthirster. And I took the bloodthirster with the D-axe. And Alan DeHassa, okay, another demon player, 
who was running Demons with Tau, by the way. That's what 7th edition was. Um, he didn't like this. And he's like, you can't do that. You have to take the one with the sword. And I was like, no, I don't. And it was a weird... I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of this. But we called over Frankie. He was supposed to be a really smart guy, right? Wrong. He's not a smart guy. He's a dumb guy. He <laughs> makes the wrong call. And I knew this. And after the round... And I still beat Alan, by the way. That's why this is not that bad. It's a great story, actually, as it turns out. The bloodthirster with the sword still bodied him, and I was destroying him. So that's why I didn't argue too much anyways. But afterwards, I walked up to him, showed him the FAQ, showed him the, the two codexes, and was like, you got it wrong. And Alan was, like, kind of upset about it, because he, it, you know, I was basically calling him out on it. I was like, but, but also, I beat him really bad, so it's, like, kind of a... Double win. Yeah, you don't want to, like, win too many arguments when you're also winning. You sometimes have to give it to your opponent, which is what ended up <laughs> happening. But I'll never let Frankie forget it. Um, because it was really silly. But my my big point, other than this silly story, is it's just going to happen. Sometimes it just absolutely happens. And that's actually just Warhammer etiquette. The TO, the judge, whatever, they're going to make a call. And even if you absolutely know it, unless you can prove it with like written document that you have readily available right there, in which case they probably don't rule against you, um, you need to move on. And that's why you can also dice off sometimes, too. If you're like, man, I feel really strongly about this. How do you feel about a dice off? And if they're like, no, and then the TO and judge ruled against you, you got to suck it up and, and move on. And sometimes that'll lose you a game, too, which I've had happen twice at the LBO. It was really rough uh, earlier on, again, 7th and 6th edition. Um, and then maybe you go up to them afterwards and be like, hey, just so you know, here's the thing. I feel pretty crummy about this, but it is what it is. And you move on. Yeah, and, and you have to accept it when it happens. And a lot of the times you know, after with more time, like in the heat of the moment, you can kind of sometimes know you're right. And you're trying to find like that rule. And you're like, where in the heck have I seen it? I know I've seen it. It's here somewhere, you know, and, and a lot of times you just have to like suck it up mm -hmm. and take it because it's going to waste all this time trying to figure out what's going on. And the time is ticking and you need to get this game done anyway. And it might lose you the game, and then after the round, they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, we made a mistake. Right. You know, let's, you know, for the rest of the tournament, we'll rule it correctly. Thank you for being the guinea pig this round. Oh, man. And uh, sometimes that happens, and it's just, uh, it's just, you know, there's nothing you can really do about it, uh, you know, to allow the game to continue smoothly and to just... Bite your, bite your tongue and just get on with it. It happens know? in real sports too, right? Like sometimes the umpire yeah, or ref yeah. gets the wrong call. They even have slow motion cameras and stuff like that and they still get it wrong. And afterwards you respectfully go, that sucks. But that's just part of competition. And I fully agree with Scar. You just got to get... You can't make like a 25-minute argument. Because the other part about Warhammer 2 that you have to accept is sometimes you are quote-unquote right, but it's interpreted different or they play it differently in that area. And even though you're right, as far as you're, you can tell... This game, as we all know, has some real funny language in it, right? Where like you're like, this is how it's read. And to them, they're like, no, it's not. And you're not going to, you don't want to do a protest of it. Why? I quit forever, and I'm never coming back to this tournament. I'm not bringing my five friends. Yep. <laughs> um, so so I, I can answer this question from a, a different perspective. That's as a TO. Um, as a player, I've never personally been ruled uh, with an incorrect ruling and had it cost me a game. Um but as a TO, I have actually given incorrect rulings and incorrect procedures um, with like like end of game rule. This was before chess clocks. End of game dividing the time and end of game calls and just you know I've made a lot of mistakes judging games of 40k. You know, but you do learn. Um, I will say that you knowing where your rules are helps the judge slash TO a ton when they come to the table. 
um and and having easy access to them so maybe like if you you know on your smartphone you might have windows open where the relevant faqs are so you don't have to like hold on google chrome is loading oh, hold on the the warmer community page is loading now so you might want to have those pre-loaded and pre-ready to go uh especially if you're playing uh top table where where the stakes are a lot higher and you know that you might be getting a lot more of those rules questions because the top tables do have a lot more of those crazy rules interactions questions from the players because the players are, are a lot higher caliber and you know they get into really crazy weird game states and board states um but but yeah it, just remember the to is under a lot of pressure and the to isn't out to get you they're not trying to make a ruling uh in your favor or a friend's favor uh they're just trying to hopefully they're just trying to make a rule as unbiased as possible and as, as accurate as possible. So I got a story. Ooh, Jeff. And this is an example of Jeff being a good, humble human again. We were playing Team Happy in the final, the top table of ATC the first year I went. And I was playing Justin Curtis, and this is 7th edition. And he had this beautiful demon army, which could get to negative 2 invul saves. So what does negative 2 mean for you? Well, in 7th edition, you could have such a good invul save that literally if they have debuffs, you still get to a 2-up. And his whole army was negative 2. So I would have these abilities to minus his invul, and I would get like 3 or 4 of them off, which I would then argue made him like a 4 or 5-up invul. But his argument was that because he was negative 2, uh, he actually still had a 2-up invul. And that would be correct in 7th edition, which again was an abomination. Um, except that it was my turn, and in the player, in the controlling player's turn in seventh edition, you chose whether you added or subtracted first. None of this should make any sense to anyone. Please don't let it make sense because that means you're in some weird hellscape. But the point was, I knew I, I didn't make that argument, and when we asked the judge, he didn't know it either, so he ruled in favor of Justin. So I played an entire game with him at two up in bold despite my debuffs on my turn, um, and then afterwards we talked about it, and we're just like, oh, okay. But it wasn't like he was cheating me. It wasn't like the judge was terrible. It was just that nobody really knew how to make the, the correct argument here. And because we did make the correct argument, I got ruled against and I lost. Hmm. Uh, the, the absolute worst thing you can do is call the ITC and ask us what the question is, especially if we're on the spot ruling. I, I've literally been on the phone with a player asking for a ruling. I could hear the tournament in the background and then had the TO Facebook message me while I'm talking to the player asking me the rolling and both people asking me for the rolling and I had to tell both of them like, you know what? Handle it. I'm, I've got a work to do. So just, just don't do that. Just don't. I get them all the time. Actually just random phone calls like Pablo, PD pop. How many space Marine, how many shots does a bolter give you? I'm like, okay, hang up. Don't call us, please. You can email us. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's a very, it's a very, you know, subject sore subject at flg we get a lot of rules questions uh hourly uh, okay so finally moving on to the final thing and this is less a question more of a a really fun thing uh chris wants to know what do the hosts think about jim vessel winning yet another tournament um he was up drinking in the hotel room till 5 a.m and then still won wow he's a beast he's the ever chosen also, uh, Peter dropping in a little nugget. He is twenty-eight and one in GT and major play since the LVO. And if you remove him from the ITC, Dream and Demons drop by three percent in win percentage as a whole faction. Wow, that's because he's uh, taking the demons by storm. He's hmm. like riding that demon wave. 
Yeah, that's we, we all know what Barrison thinks. Let's him in the back. You can hear that. Oh yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I think it's really cool. I think it's uh, it's just like I said earlier. I love that his list is not a gimmick that people haven't figured out yet. It's just a very strong um, all takers list, and he's piloting it really well. And it's very impressive to win in a row like that. And he went to a couple of tournaments with some good players at it, and still came out on top. So I'm excited. I uh, I would say I'm I would hope. He gets his ass to, like, Nova. That's going to be the next big, big super competitive tournament. There's going to be a lot of big tournaments, of course, but Nova's, like, you know, chock full of top players. Well, he'll be at ETC. ATC is more of a fun tournament, you know what I mean? It's very narrative. ETC. Well, ETC is after, isn't it? No, it's before. Yeah, it's in August. Yeah, it's it's in August, and then isn't Nova in September? Yeah. Uh, no, that's cool, but it's that's different for me. Like it's a that's a team tournament, so yeah, I'm, I'm expecting him to do well there. That's cool, but I'm talking about uh, you know Adepticon Nova. I'm talking about American 40k Scary. Gosh, well, that's also something. It's those are different missions entirely, so he'll probably have to have a different list and then do well with demons again. Yeah, but I'm I'm in agreement with Jeff. I, I'd really uh, you do tend to see these kind of players get hot and then disappear for periods of time. Um, obviously because it's expensive to go out to tournaments, but I do Jim hope Jim does the the full on you know tournament circuit where he goes to Nova, maybe he goes to the Bay Area Open, maybe he goes to SoCal Open, etc. Uh, I def- he better go to the LVO you know next year. If he I'm does, sure. I'll drag him out there myself. But um, yeah, I, I agree, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how this turns out. Um, hopefully, it's awesome. But anyways, that's it. It's the end of the episode, guys. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you, Val, as well, who had to dip out early, unfortunately. And thank you, Jeff and Sky, for coming on as well. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, to real quick announcement on uh, go to giving go to Throne of the War G, Throne, the Throne of War GT and the Boise Cup are coming up in June. I will be attending those. They are sponsors of the podcast. So if you're in Boise area in late June, or if you're going to be in Honolulu area, or if you want to go visit lovely Honolulu, um, we are. I am also flying Sean out with the patrons money, uh, and then I'm going out myself. And Reese is going as well. We're all going to go out and have a great time in paradise, slinging some dice. So it should be a lot of fun. Join the Patreon for all those goodies and to win an Abaddon model and a Lord Discordant. And as always, check out In Control TV on YouTube and Twitch. Check out FrontlineGaming.org. Buy cool stuff. And Skari, you're starting a new show on Mondays. Uh, yeah, on the Patreon page, I've been doing a uh, on the Patreon Facebook. It's called Meta Monday Analysis or MMA. So we sit down and talk about all the top lists from uh, the previous weekend. Uh, so that's been really fun, actually. Did our first one. And that'll be every Monday morning. So I'm looking forward to breaking down all the cool stuff that happens in the meta. All right. Thank you guys for listening, and have a good one.